Fight Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 571. Hello and welcome to the White Rocket Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all of our great supporters via Patreon.com. It's one long conversation with a variety of guests about the best of popular culture. I'm Van Allen Plexico and tonight we are continuing our recent series of classic movie review episodes with Michael Mann's Last of the Mohicans from 1992 starring Daniel Day-Lewis and Madeline Stowe. And joining me for this review episode are... Jared Albrecht, Kathy Bright, Andy Fix, and I'm going to let them each introduce themselves. Jared, tell the folks who you are. Oh, hey, I'm Jared. I, uh, <laughs> I am uh, known as the Yard Sale Artist. I podcast with Van here and also on the Longbox Crusade Network. If it's nerdy, I tend to talk about it. That is true. Kathy. Hi, I'm Kathy Bright. Um, I'm new to this whole podcasting game, so y'all bear with me while I see how this works. And, of course, my recent Babylon 5 co-host, and now we're branching out to other things, Andy Fix. Welcome aboard, Andy. Thank you, Van. Um, yeah, as Van mentioned, I, I do the Babylon 5 review podcast with him, and I'm also a writer. So, we are here. This is part of my new stable of White Rocket co-hosts we've put together. We've been uh, doing, we've done, we did Ocean's Eleven, we did the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, we did a couple of others. And now we're going to tackle the 1992 movie, Last of the Mohicans, which is one of my all-time like top 10 movies. And we have a very diverse crew here, uh, I think, of views, of, of experience with it, to kind of give us some different perspectives. I'm looking forward to it. So I want to go around the horn here. And we've got our categories that we're going to do that we always do. But before we do that, I want to go around the horn and get a sense of, like, where does this movie rank for you in terms of, you know... It's okay, it's good, it's great, I love it, it's top ten, it's top five, it's my favorite movie. Just a quick kind of tour around the horn. So, Jared, where does this movie kind of rank for you? I feel like it's good. I think it's a really good, solid 90s uh, movie. Okay. Kathy? I will agree. I really enjoyed it. Um, Not in my top ten or top 25 or anything, but I really did enjoy it. Okay. Andy? I think it's fantastic. It's one of probably not top ten, but easily top 20 movies. Okay, and like I said, it's in my top ten. Every time I see it, it kind of inches a little bit higher. Uh, I appreciate it for a number of things that we're going to kind of get into as we go along here. So um, just some general uh, overview of the movie, and we can talk about this. Uh, It is set in 1757 during the French and Indian War, which is part of what appeals to me as as a history guy. Um, Plus it has a sort of a romantic overtone and an adventure action overtone. It's a period piece. There's so much about that I love. Uh, you know, in the same vein that I love Kingdom of Heaven. I love this movie because I like these big sort of historical epics with lots of characters and lots of action and stuff. Um, based loosely on the James Fenimore Cooper classic book, which has been described as, quote, unreadable, unquote, which I think is pretty funny. Um, but it is really based on a 1930s movie that Michael Mann saw when he was a kid, and he said it stuck with him. And so in the middle of making, like, Miami Vice and Heat... He suddenly went off and made this odd French and Indian War period piece with Native Americans and British and French soldiers and colonists, and it's just an oddball for him. It's it's, but yet I think as we go along, we will see. We'll talk about how parts of it have a very 
Michael Mann feel to them, like music videos. I would say the last 20 minutes of the movie or so is really one long music video. And I got to say, I'm going to reference this a couple of times, but Bill Simmons on his podcast talked about it and said, because he's a huge Michael Mann fan, uh, fan, and they had just reviewed Miami Vice, like the TV show. And he said, he referred to that scene where Sonny Crockett pulls the Ferrari over on the way to like a big criminal showdown goes over to payphone, calls up his ex-wife and says, baby, I just got to know, was it real? And she's like, yeah, baby, it was real. And he gets back in the car and drives. And Bill Simmons is like, I could just see Hawkeye, you know, running through the woods. And he runs up to a payphone. Cora, I just got to know, was it real? <laughs> so that, that yeah. it, there is a Michael Mann flavor to it, is all I'm saying. So... What, what do you guys think about Michael Mann and how this movie comes across to you compared to maybe some of the other movies you've seen by him? Let me go the other way around. Andy, you're, you're, I mean, because I don't know if you're a you're Michael Mann guy, you've ever seen the others. What do you think? Well, I'm a huge Michael Mann fan. Uh, this movie comes across as it, it plays to his strengths where he's his, the cinematography and the, the oh, tying yeah. the visuals with the, the music. It's just spectacular. And, and Michael Mann is a, is a history nut. Uh, shortly after doing this one, he was actually um, working on a movie called Gates of Fire, which is a story about the Battle of Thermopylae. So he's really big into the, the big uh, historical stuff, too. He's not just a, a slick, you know, modern crime type of guy. So, no, I think this, this was a great um, – his strengths, and it was probably one of the, the best examples, uh, big screen examples of, of what he does well. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Kathy, you, you, do you have any thoughts on Michael Mann? Have you seen like Heat or uh, Miami Vice or any of those things kind of compared to this? Uh, I used to watch Miami Vice, but I was on IMDb checking out because I'm not that familiar with the name to know. But um, Aviator sticks out, but mm. that may be just because I'm a big Leo fan. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm not familiar enough with to give you an honest answer mm. of the difference or where it ranks. Well, speaking of Leonardo DiCaprio, though, I'm glad you mentioned that because the other movie this is kind of compared to nowadays is um, is um, the Revenant, Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio, which is again. I kind of thought that a little bit during the movie, just as far as the scenic yes. aspect of it. Yeah, they have a completely different feel, but they both have this epic cinematography. They both give you this look at like a virgin North America, you know, back before industry and everything there's a real completely different tone to the movies but i love them both and they are both in my top 10 i don't know what that says about me that you know lonely dudes out in the woods in the 1700s or 1800s is up in my top 10 but jared your thoughts about michael mann and and did this seem like a michael mann movie to you and all that no i honestly i'd seen this before and then when i rewatched it uh, it's been 20 years i rewatched it uh, recently for the podcast and i saw it was a michael mann film i was like this is the most un-Michael Mann, Michael Mann film I might have ever seen. I, I'm a big fan of Heat. Um, I think Manhunter is a wildly underrated film. Um, I wasn't big on the new Miami Vice version. but Yeah, we've uh, talked about that before. You and I have talked that I love. Yeah. It's, it's not like in my top 50 or anything, but I can sit down and throw on the, the 2006 or whatever Miami Vice yeah. and just watch it anytime. I may need to give it another watch, too, because I found I'm enjoying things more as I get older, including this film. But, yeah, this is a really different, I guess, vibe from Michael Mann, but it 
it's up there. It might be one of his best films. I mean, yeah. it is one of his best films. Yeah, we're going to get to that category, in fact, in a little bit, and we'll see what folks think. Okay. Um, <clears throat> any other general thoughts about this movie? Like, um, before we get into our categories that we have, we have some specific questions, but I just want to see if there's anything else that you guys uh, want to throw out or mention, Andy, about this movie, just in general. Like uh, random factoids or just yeah, uh, whatever, more yeah. general stuff than that? Yeah. Uh I, I mean, I've got some fun little factoids about the movie. It, it was the the largest cast of of Native Americans up to that point, cool. um, and they were drawn from all over North America. The funny part is they all knew how to speak their Native American tongue. And in the movie, when you hear Native Native Americans speaking their language, they're speaking their own native language. So mm. while they're the the two Mohicans that Hawkeye is traveling with. One is an Inuit and one is a Sioux. So uh, ching- uh, the, the dad is speaking in Sioux and the son is responding in Inuit. So they can't really understand what they're saying, but it sounds authentic <laughs> because nobody watching the movie really understands either. Except for maybe uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, who probably studied every Native American <laughs> language in preparation for the movie. A hundred percent. Yes, he um, did. <laughs> um, so and th- a lot of people don't know that this is based on a, an actual historical battle, the uh, the battle for uh, um, Fort William Henry, um, and uh, uh, Colonel Monroe is a, is a historical character. His two daughters are historical characters. Wow! Um, and a, a lot of like Malgua is is a historical character, and the the French general. So there's a lot of his, history involved with this um, that James Fenimore Cooper wrote his characters into. So I thought that was was pretty interesting. That is. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize the historic. I I knew that that James Fenimore Cooper, you know, wrote the story, but I didn't realize um, that it was based on actual characters. I do like the fact that in all the literature, Hawkeye's name is Natty Bumpo, and in the movie, you notice right. he's Nath- he's Nathaniel Poe, and which that works because Natty would be short for Nathaniel, and Poe is short for for Bumpo, and Michael Mann said he changed it because he didn't want the audience to be snickering about Natty Bumpo through half the movie and miss the story. So I totally 100% am on board with changing his name that way. Um, uh, we, we'll talk a little bit about the cast and the replacements and everything in a bit, but uh, Kathy, any, anything, any other observations you have about it Like you know, before we get into specific categories? Did, you know, did, how much did you enjoy it, and how much did you think you would going in? You said you'd seen it before, right? Well, I, I don't remember. If I did see it, it was... 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I didn't remember anything about it, but I was, um, this is really not a tidbit other than just for me personally. Mm-hmm. I was the scene where the, um, soldiers are coming into Albany. Mm-hmm. I think that's where they were going. Albany. Yeah. And I'm so. like, this bridge looks awfully familiar. Oh yeah. So I went on IMDb as I do in every movie <laughs> I watch. And I'm like filmed in North Carolina. I see the Biltmore. I pull out my scrapbook from my trip to Asheville, North Carolina, the Biltmore, and I have a photo of that bridge that I had taken from the Biltmore estate. <laughs> and that's a gorgeous shot, too. I mean, when they, when you see that mm-hmm. shot of the bridge and the reflection and then the, mm-hmm. the buggy goes across it, that's like the first, to me, that's like the first scene in the movie where man is like, you're going to be seeing some vistas. You know what I mean? Earlier than that, it's mostly running through the woods and it's dark and murky. In fact, it's right. so dark and murky. Much of this movie is problematic for me because I show it to my U.S. history classes. And our projectors aren't great, and we have a lot of sunshine coming in our window. And I'm like, 
I always have to the, the opening scene where they're chasing the the deer or whatever through the woods. I'm like, they're chasing a deer. Just just don't worry about it. We'll you know it'll it'll lighten up in a minute. You know, so they can't see. And it, I read but. that they did that intentionally because they wanted it to look as natural mm -hmm. as possible. So they did not do it a lot of over lighting and everything. Yeah. But I also I found a photograph in my scrapbook. That the opening, like when they're showing the Appalachian Mountain, well, what is supposed to be yeah. the New York Mountains, I have almost the very same photo vantage <laughs> point from when we were going over the Appalachian Mountains to go to Asheville. And oh, I have a awesome. very similar picture, and it's even foggy just like that. I'm like, this is so weird, but I loved it. <laughs> I know. Now I kind of want to go. I've been there several times, but now that I know that movie was shot there and everything, I kind of want to go back and look for the places where it was filmed because now it's now it I have a reason to go. It definitely made me want to go do a lot of hiking yeah. in North Carolina all of a sudden. The scenery just blew me away. Absolutely. It's gorgeous. Jared, any other thoughts about the movie or experience with it before we get in the categories? Oh, I'm just now realizing that I watched The Last Boy Scout and not The Last Americans. <laughs> You're waiting for somebody to pull a gun on the football player, right? My, my alternate joke for that is you were saying how dark it was. So you you don't like Daniel Knight Lewis. You need Daniel Day. <laughs> That's true. That is okay, absolutely. So those are all my jokes. Yeah, no, but the, the only thing that kind of caught my eye is really in step with what Kathy said. Because I was watching, I was like, I was like, and I know they're supposed to be down by the Hudson River, and I was like, I wonder if there's enough, you know, nature yeah. <laughs> down there to film it. So I waited. I purposefully waited to the end to see where it was filmed, and I was like, Oh, North Carolina, you cheaters! Yeah. But I have, I have also been back in that area and done uh, whitewater rafting back in there because I was stationed at Pope Air Force Base in Fayetteville, North Carolina, for my first duty station. So I've spent some time up in those mountains. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, I have a couple of. Did fact you go toys over any myself. waterfalls though? Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> so. of course. Uh, in, a, in a canoe? I, I didn't get out and like push the canoe off. I actually went over the <laughs> But not to that extent. Those were good-looking canoes, by the way. Sorry. They're neat, yeah. I have a couple of factoids. I was going to say, I like that it foreshadows both the coming of the American Revolution with some of the, some of the stuff with the... Um, they really foreshadow the American Revolution really well where you have... The, the the frontiersmen, the colonists coming in and negotiating with the general whether there'll be a militia or not, what the terms are. And Duncan comes in and he's like, I can't believe that you're negotiating with these people. This is we're supposed to make the whole world England. You're supposed to tell them this is what it's gonna be. And I'm like, see, Duncan, you're the reason we're independent. Because if the British had negotiated with us, we might still be part of the British Empire. But dudes like Duncan are like, no, no, you'll just shut up and do as you're told. And we're like, we're out of here, man. So Duncan is exactly, he is just like the prototypical reason for the American Revolution right there. I explain this to my students, by the way. Um, it also foreshadows the coming of modern America because there's two endings. And the ending that I have on my uh, ultimate director's cut or whatever, which is like two minutes different from the other one, it ends with Chinkagook saying, I'm the last of the Mohicans, and that's the end. But the theatrical version has that line, and then he says... Some, it's been a long time since I've seen the other version. I don't even know if I have the other version anymore. But at the end, and Andy, you may remember this being a big fan too, it comes back to Chinkagook and he says, like, you, you, my white son, you and your woman and your kind will, will populate this land. But, but before that, we were here. And that's where it ends. And I yeah, thought that was... A, nice yeah. Well, the other, the other version that I have on... Um, that I have the version on Apple TV is the is the like the director's ultimate cut, and it just ends with him saying "Last of the Mohicans." So 
they bo- I think they both work. Andy, what you, which version did you see, and do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I've seen both versions, um, and that that reflects uh, Fenimore Cooper's uh, uh, one of the themes he was trying to put into the book. Um, there that, that, that was a popular myth back in his day when he was writing this in the early 1800s that the Indians, or I'm sorry, the Native Americans that populated the East Coast just kind of faded away. Mm-hmm. They didn't, you know, they weren't forced off their land or murdered or anything like that. They just kind of faded away. So he was kind of uh, leveraging that attitude and that myth to uh, to appeal to um, you know the, the his his audience. But um, it, we know that the Mohicans didn't really fade away. Chingagook wasn't the last of the Mohicans. I mean, there's a, a big Mohawk tribe right here in Ohio. So um, Fenimore Cooper was just. I don't know if he bought into the myth or if he was just you know using the myth. But yeah, that that's definitely one of the themes. Mm-hmm. And Kathy, did you do you know which version you saw? Which ending did you see? I'm just curious. Um, I tried to watch both, but you had to pay for the director's cut, so ah. I just watched the, whichever one was on Amazon Prime. But I don't remember that extra part. I thought it ended with him saying "Last Mohicans." It I may maybe three times. I well, should there, know, but <laughs> there's like three different versions, and so there's no telling. There's literally no telling. If I went and bought the, uh, a different version than the one that I have on Apple, it might have the same ending. I just, but you know, honestly, the difference between the three versions is is minute. There's very little. I think difference. I read that the that the DVD version that you can buy is the director's cut. Yeah, it's like two or three minutes different, you know, which is weird because his original cut, his rough cut, was three hours long, and 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 had a different soundtrack. By the way, the the I've got the soundtrack, and you know, um, um, what Trevor, what, I always get Trevor Trevor Jones. I get all the Trevors confused because there's there's two Trevors in Yes, and neither one of them is this guy. Well, anyway, Trevor, the composer of this movie, Mann had him doing an electronic score. And at the very last minute, Mann goes back to him and says, I want you to change to an orchestral score. I think that'd work better. And he's like, son of a... <laughs> so he has to rescore the entire movie, and he only got part of it done. So concurrently with that, Mann brought in Randy Edelman to do more music for it. So that's why the soundtrack has some music by Trevor whatever, Jones or whatever, and the others by Randy Edelman. And they sound... I mean, if you didn't know, you'd think the same person did them all. It's, it's got a great, great score. But... Um, and we can talk yeah, about that. That, scare, that scares me talking about electronic music in that movie. I, oh God! How would that even work? Oh. I have no idea. That's crazy. Well, it was it was 1992, but the 80s weren't that far in our rearview mirror at that point. <laughs> so, yeah. I, oh my gosh! Don't be hating I mean, on some 80s music. I, not hating. I just don't want it on Shades, on last shades, shades of Ladyhawk. Oh boy! See, there you go. All right, so let's go around. Andy, I'm going to start with you since we're, we're already talking here. When and where did you first see this movie, and what did you know about it or think about it going in? <laughs> well, I saw this movie on opening weekend in the theater because I was super excited about it. I I read not just The Last of the Mohicans, but the entire Leather Stocking series. There's five books in it. Um, so I was a huge fan of the source material. Plus, I was at that time studying in college uh, early American history, so I was a huge fan of the uh, the time period. So, I, I was super excited to go see this movie when it first came out, and I was not disappointed. Yeah, very cool, Kathy. How did, how and and where did you first see it, and what did you know about it before you saw it? It came out ninety two, right? Yeah, I was like, still in college, so I probably I know I didn't see it at the theater. I'm pretty sure. So it was probably when it came out on video. Okay. Probably rented it at the movie gallery in Auburn. There you, there you go. <laughs> well, that's going to be my similar to my story too, Jerry. What was yours? 
Well, I didn't see it until 2001 or 2002. I had a good friend of mine who's quite the history buff who, Van and I, you and I talked about this a little bit before. He kind of oversold it. He's like, this is the greatest oh, yeah. movie ever made. And you've got to see it. It's awesome. And, it, and you're just going to change your life. And so, you know, it set the bar real high. And I watched it. And frankly, I was like kind of disappointed. I was like, okay, it's okay. Just, you know. And, and I, I honestly think if it had been one of those where I was more in Andy's camp and just kind of went and saw it at the theater, I probably would have had a, a bigger and bolder impact. I, I feel like it might be um, one of those movies that plays better on a big screen, you know, like yeah. the movie theater screen. So, yeah, I had a bit of an oversell. And so when you pitched this podcast to me, I behind the scenes, I texted Van. I was like, honest feelings. I, I don't think it's that great of a movie. And then, but I said, you know what? I'll watch it again. It's been 20 years. Yep. And uh, and and then see if it improved. And it did. It really did. It's it's better now that I didn't have that big bill. That's 100 percent an issue with with movies is if people build it because i've said i love the 13th warrior but i have friends that refuse to even watch it the first time because other people have ruined it for them to the point that they just like i don't even want to see it because i'm tired of hearing about it and i'm like see that's just unfortunate because yeah the bar gets set too high um for me this is kind of odd it was 1992 the fall and i had just moved away i just i graduated auburn in december of 90 and and worked in the au bookstore for a while and in, and in fall of 92, I had just started at Georgetown. So I had just that summer driven up to Washington, D.C. and started living at George, at, in Washington, D.C., going to Georgetown. And I drove back down to Auburn to visit some friends and my girlfriend at the time that was still a, still a student. Um, and that movie was playing at the free movie in Langdon Hall, which, for those that don't know, it's where Auburn shows free movies to the students that have been out for a couple. It's kind of like the theaters that show like second-run movies. They show them there for free. And so we all went and saw it. And I'm like, whoa, this was really, really good. And then, you know, I kind of forgot about it for a long time. And then when it came out on video and everything, I watched it again. I'm like, well, this is even better than I remembered. And I just, every time I saw it, I liked it more. And then when I started using it in my history classes, that made me start thinking of it critically in terms of what's it saying about the colonists, what's it saying about Britain and, and France and all that. And that just gave me a whole nother layer of appreciation for it. And so getting to explain it to students really... Uh, helped me out a lot too. So, favorite scene. Let me start with Jared this time. I know there's a lot of really good scenes in this movie. There's a lot that could be, and I think we'll probably. You feel free to name more than one if you want to. But what's your favorite scene or scenes? Man, yeah, there's there's a lot to choose from, and a lot with different tones. Like you said, it's everywhere from romance to adventure to, well, let me just get to the point. The point where the father gets his revenge for his son is my favorite scene because <laughs> i was just like this mfr needs to die man <laughs> and, uh, oh my god papa bear handle business and i and one of the things that stood out to me about that was this is such an opportunity for you to shine your big star on daniel day lewis who is exceptionally handsome and he was in great shape and and like let him have that moment but they didn't they they let they let papa yeah. bear have the moment and yep. I was like, that—that that to me was like classy, and and cool, and uh, it, you know, you've been waiting the whole movie to see this guy taken down a peg, um, and and I mean, even has very big life lessons in it. Like, if you mm. live for revenge, you'll die by revenge, and that's what happened, to, uh, you know. So there's there's undertones and all that, but at the end of the day, I just like watching old dude bust out that giant sword axe thing and chop up the other dude. <laughs> Jared keeps and, <it> classy. <laughs> and 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 fair enough. I, there is a there was somebody that said there's another 
version of this movie where Magua is the sympathetic hero because his family was killed, his wife, mm-hmm. he lost his mm-hmm. wife, his children were lost, and he's out he's out for blood and he's out for revenge and of course he comes up like you said, mm-hmm. you sometimes get what you meet out. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, and I got that too. I really did because I was like, you know, this this dude has had his heart hardened. He, yeah, you know, and and um, it's unfortunate, you know, but and he's had the hardest of lives. But if if life here at forty five has taught me anything is that uh, forgiveness has an awful lot of power. It it, it it frees yourself more than anyone else when you have the ability to forgive and let go. That's I can true. understand why he didn't because he had a hard spot. But you live for revenge, and that's usually how you go. Live by the tomahawk, die by the tomahawk. I think. Yeah, I just want to say real quick, and I'm going to get to Kathy and then Andy. Um, Wes Studi kicks butt. He's a, he's a great villain. He's so great. And I love that he's like uh, presaging the pro athletes of the 20th and 21st century. He always talks about himself in the third person. He's like, he's always doing a Sports Center interview. <laughs> Every time Magua talks, he's like, Magua will rip out his heart and eat it. Magua will then demand trade to Patriots for player to be named later. <laughs> I got a real George Costanza vibe. Oh, Magua's getting upset. <laughs> oh man, I know. I love it. I love that though. I love that he's idiot. He's he's just like randomly third person guy all the time. But it's so good. Um, uh, Kathy, what was your favorite scene and and why? Well, I want to speak to what you two were mm-hmm. talking about just a second ago about him being the sympathetic. Um, it kind of I've heard people talk the same way with the TV show, the walking dead, Mm. you know, everybody sympathizes with the group that we initially met when we watched that show. If we would have met a different group and we would have been following their story, would they have been the heroes of the story instead of Rick and his group? So like you said, if we would have met Mogwai first, maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. him getting the revenge for his family's death would have been the pinnacle ending to his story. So, uh, but anyway, absolutely. I just no, wanted I to interject you're... that. Absolutely. Uh, I have two and a half favorite scenes. One is the same Jared picked the death of, <laughs> I mean, like you said, it was oh, that revenge, the end. Um, for romance purposes, I'm going to go with the waterfall scene. And for kind of an odd reason, that was the scene that touched me the most emotionally. And again, for a very odd reason, not because she found out that her father was killed but it the touching way that he told her that her father like he didn't just blurt out and say yeah your father said he pulled her aside he whispered to her obviously not to let her sister know but i don't know why but that scene just got me very emotional and then especially when he's you know telling her go with them live i will find you you know i will find you (laughs) um but then as far as my my true favorite action scene though is when sorry action film face off (laughs) Is the um, the fight after they have left the fort when they yeah. get attacked by the second ambush? All those, yeah, all there's, those. There's two fighters. ambushes. There's the first ambush right, the is when they're ambush. on their way to the fort, and the second ambush is when they're leaving the fort. Right. Lesson is never go to the fort, never leave the fort. <laughs> right, and that was the first time you know you hear part of their culture was you know the scalping of their kills or whatever Hmm. and that one split second where they actually show them doing that i'm like wow that's that's a lot but anyway yeah yeah 
Good deal. Andy, what was your favorite scene or scenes and why? Well, I, I just have to, to say that the scalping was not a part of Native American culture until it was introduced to them by the French traders. So Figures. You, you can't blame the Indians for that. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, my favorite scene would... Uh, my favorite scene, I, I'm going to three of them. Um, the opening hunt scene, I think, is really, really cool. Uh, I just love the cinematography. I, I know it's dark, but if you're watching it in a, in a dark theater... I I... I saw it on a on a big screen so to, to speak to what jared was saying it is fantastic on the big screen i mean you, it feels like you're actually in the woods with these guys so um that i thought the hunt scene was really cool uh, especially the end after they they kill the deer and they you know they do their little prayer at the end giving thanks mm-hmm. for giving him giving his life um the scene when the courier leaves the fort and uh, oh, yeah. uh hawkeye is using his his uh, rifle to uh, pick off all the all the guys who are trying to intercept the courier. I thought that was. I mean, it wasn't a very long scene, but it was a great scene to show just what kind of uh, uh, character Hawkeye is with with a gun. I thought that was really cool. Hawkeye is actually known for his his gun um, and for his his uh, sharpshooting skills. Uh, the French actually, in some of the other books, called him Long Rifle because of the, the, the type of gun that he used. Um, and finally, my favorite scene, like everybody else, is the, the chase up the mountainside and uh, the final fight scene with um, when Uncas, you know, tries to intercept. And he does pretty good up until he gets to Malgua. And then uh, um, oh. when when uh, Chin, uh Papa Bear, I like Papa Bear. I'm going to call him Papa Bear from now on, Jared. I thought that was that was a, a good a good turn of phrase when he when he get, yeah <laughs> when he gets in there and he's the the oldest guy of all the main characters you know he you know he's he's dad he's probably mid forties early fifties I can I can sympathize with the guy and he just kicks the dude's butt and uh, it, it wasn't even close I he just went in there and just walloped him with the Klingon axe sword thingy. <laughs> So, yeah, I thought that was a fantastic scene. And he does the finishing move 360 tomahawk spin. Right. <laughs> and and uh, Magua's expression at the end of that is just like, whoa, how did I lose? How am I getting killed? This sucks. <laughs> yeah. I got to say, I'm going to tell you my favorite scenes, but I, I dug Hawkeye and Korra, and I, and I said... The thing, this is the thing. This movie, I was trying to explain this to my wife the other day. This movie makes everything and everybody in it larger than life and gorgeous. You know, Daniel Day Lewis in any other movie looks pretty cool, leading man. In this movie, he looks like a rock god, right? Like a rock star, Kathy's nodding. Um, in, you know, in most movies, Madeline Stowe is a very attractive actress. She's just fine. In this movie, she looks like a goddess. I'm just like, I don't even like Madeline Stowe, and she's just amazing looking here. Jody May, and I have to be careful here because Jody May was actually like 15 or 16 in this movie. The the story goes that her mom hung around the set all the time to make sure that there weren't any sex scenes with Eric Schweig, you know, Uncas, Uncas. Um, but even still, Jody May is just radiant. She's so beautiful in this movie. She's so. She doesn't, and, and she's complained. The actress, by the way, she's currently on The Witcher. She's the queen on The Witcher. And I remember when I saw her on there, I'm like, how can that be Jodie May? She's too young. And I looked it up and I'm like, oh, because Jodie May was like 16 and lost to the Mohican. So she's not that old now because she was barely a child when she made this movie. And um, so she's really good on there. But um, 
she, I, you know, she has complained that in the three-hour cut she gets to act. In the actual movie versions that we've seen, she doesn't really get to say a whole lot. She says a couple of lines early on in their scene in the meadow where they're having tea with Duncan. I can't wait to go back to England and tell everyone, you know, like that. But that's about all she, otherwise she's mostly just like staring like a glassy-eyed, you know, deer in the headlights the whole movie. But that's the that's the part. I'm not finding fault where that's the part she has to play because she is completely out of her depth and has nothing to cling to but her sister and I think increasingly Uncas and the other guys. And I felt like there are scenes that we've never gotten to see that built up a little bit of the relationship between Uncas and Alice because I was 100% bought in on them. I thought they were the cutest thing. They Even at the beginning, right, when they're in the cabin, at the very beginning when they go to the cabin of the uh, homesteaders, the pioneers, um, the, the mom or whoever says to Uncas, why have you not settled down and gotten married and started having kids yet? And then when Alice comes along, it's like, oh, yeah, there it is, right? And so when, when, when Uncas goes to the happy hunting grounds, after trying so hard and coming so close, he takes out half of Magua's army to get to him, and then he, he goes up against the big final boss on that stage, and he loses, and he goes over. And then just that whole scene... And remember, throughout this entire scene, you had that that's been stuck in my head for days. It is like a music video, and a lot of it is in slow motion. And then, you know, Magua turns back to Alice, and she steps on that rock, and he reaches his hand out, like, come here. And she just looks away and steps off. And I love Wes Studi's performance there because you can see about five different emotions within about two seconds. He sees her go off, and it's first a surprise, and then it's kind of like respect, like, she's pretty tough, right? I got to respect that. There's a little bit of, oh, jumping off a cliff is better than marrying me? Well, that sucks. There's a little bit of that. And then finally, he's kind of like, well... Off we go, boys. You know, he kind of goes through that whole sequence of emotions like that. And I'm just like, I love that. I, I could watch that over and over and over. Even though it's so heartbreaking because I just am like, I have to believe that Uncas and Alice are in the happy hunting grounds together forever, you know, for eternity or whatever. I have to, I have to think that. Uh, so that's probably my favorite scene is that whole, just the music, the Michael Mann music video uh, up on the mountainside with the, oh gosh, it's so amazing. Um and I think I think I like the um, you know go oh, go ahead oh sorry the, uh, the I agree with you about West Duty's performance in that particular scene and I'll go so far as to before she jumps and he's you know reach, he he's reaching out to her you can see his his throat working that he's swallowing like he's nervous yeah because he does not uh oh want her to jump and then they they focus He's burying the hatchet and deciding this girl to die after all. You know, I know she's the, the son of my enemy, but I don't want her to die. So he, at that point in time, is becoming more human, or at least his human side is starting to surface a little bit more. I thought that was, and all that is, is done just through Wes Studi's performance. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he really, it's one of those things where you watch the movie the first time or two and you hate him. But after you watch it a couple more times, you just have to appreciate as an actor what he's doing which is making himself somebody that on the one hand is a terrible villain that you can't stand, but on the other hand is just giving this incredible performance and make the movie would be so different without him. That would just, you know, he's so important to it. Um, I was just going to say the other, the other scene that I really love a whole lot 
is is probably the um, the second ambush. Uh, the first ambush is really good because it's got a whole army, you know, that gets ambushed. The second ambush is a smaller group, but I really feel like from the second ambush on, the movie doesn't slow down. The movie has slow parts all the way up to the, to the get through the fort. All the way up to they get through the fort, there are slow parts, and the the parts at the fort are kind of slow. But then once they leave the fort and the English surrender and all that, once we get past that. It is bang, 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 bang. And the thing that surprised me on the most recent watch was that in in any other movie, when Hawkeye jumps off the waterfall and leaves them in the cave under the waterfall, in any other movie, there would be a 30-minute segment of him trying to find her again. It's like three minutes. It's like three minutes, and he's caught back up to them again, and we get to the climax. It does not, I bet in that three-hour version, there is kind of like a two towers where they're tracking and tracking. You know what I mean, Kathy, right? They're tracking and tracking. Absolutely, I do. Yeah. But they cut all that out, man. I'm like, when he when he jumps off the waterfall, I'm sitting there going, so let me think now, how long is it going to take him to find them again? And I'm like, whoa, here, they, they found, you know, they caught up. It's right here. We're, we're, in, we're into the final stretch. So that, that pacing. I'm still questioning why she didn't jump with him, but, you know. That's just me. I know. Well, it was the sense was that they could get away, and if they all went, they'd still be pursued. But maybe leaving them behind, they wouldn't be pursued. And they could come back around and get them. I, it was kind of weird, though. I, I I agree. It's just a bold move, knowing what she was if she did get caught and get taken to their camp. What was going to happen to her? He even says it in his speech. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Do whatever they tell you to do. Just live. And it's like, whew. Yeah. Alrighty. That's no, exactly. Reminded me of, in some ways of the last season or two of Outlander when there's been a lot of stuff going on with Native Americans, people getting kidnapped and stuff. So, when are we doing the podcast on that show, by the way? We, we can. I, I was disappointed that I didn't get to, that I didn't, I wasn't able to get my schedule, get Outlander into my schedule at DragonCon because there was an Outlander panel. And I, oh, I, there I was? oh, yeah. I, I missed I, it. I asked about it. Oh, heck yeah. I asked about it. And I'm like, well, no, it doesn't fit my schedule. I'm doing something else at that time. So I didn't get to do it. But, I mean, I watch it because my wife loves it and she's read all the books, but I know it. I'm in, man. I know it backwards and forwards. All right. Um, we did some factoids. I had—I forgot I had actually a, a thing here. Um, I talked about the score, three-hour cut, Jody Mazzini. I think I've covered all my factoids. Does anybody else have any factoids they haven't already used? I, I think I used all mine already. Okay. Um, I, I will note that uh, one of the, the French commanders... Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he had a speaking line, but I know he was mentioned by name. He actually went on. He's a, another historical figure, and he went on to uh, uh, survive the French and Indian War and actually fought for the Americans during the Revolutionary War. Was that Bougainville? Yes. He was the one that read the dispatch they'd captured. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Montcalm says, uh, Monsieur de... de- De Bougainville, would you read the captured dispatch? He says, do, do, to the General Monroe, a commanding Fort William Henry, I, I am unable to send you any reinforcements. It is quite impossible. You must work out your own, you know, whatever. Yeah, that was Bougainville. That's cool. I'm glad you said that. Uh, what about this movie has aged the best, Andy, while you're on the line here? What has aged the best? Uh, I think it's a, a, a timeless movie, so I think it all ages very well. Um, I'm so glad he didn't use the electronic music <sighs> that you mentioned because that would have aged it like oh. within probably a year after coming out, if not if not a month after coming out. 
So I, I think it, it's it's an ageless movie. I, I think it. Um, well, let me see. The cinema the cinematography was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, that Bingo. that that goes down in 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 film history as as one of the most gorgeously shot movies. So I think that's probably what aged the best is is the cinematography. I'll go ahead and say that was mine. The cinematography, it just is so gorgeous. And also, as I said, the pacing, once they leave the fort, ages well because movies are faster paced nowadays than they used to be. And pretty much everything after the fort is paced about the way a modern movie is, and that ages very, very well. Kathy, what age the best for you? In my notes, I have everything, question mark. <laughs> There's no way that this movie's 30 years old. I would never, if I had just now seen it, I would never know that this movie was 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. the costumes were on point. The fights were authentic, seemed authentic to me. And I just, I don't think anything aged. Yeah. All those weapons were custom made for them from, for man, all the, uh, the tomahawks. There was this one guy that made that big, uh, the thing that Chinkagook had that Klingon battle thing, as Andy called it, you know, <laughs> There was a one guy that made that, and it was it was authentic. I couldn't tell what the heck it was, like a boat paddle or something, but it was real, and it did some damage. Jared, what's age the best for you, probably? Being this movie came out in 1992 in the very early and sketchy days of CGI, mm. the thing that aged the best is they didn't use CGI. It's all practical, and the costuming and everything else you guys said is spot on and wonderful, so that's why it works for me. Good call, because think about this. This movie came out a few months before Jurassic Park. Just a few months. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, this yeah. is right around Jurassic Park, you know, mm-hmm. when wow. CGI really blossomed, and they didn't fool with it. They didn't need to. It it, yeah. it served no purpose to help their story, and practical totally works here. Yeah, I agree. That's a very good point. And that fort, oh. that, that fort, they actually built that fort. <laughs> they did. Their fort, you can using authentic materials for a cost of over six million dollars and and just i mean that that's astounding that they would spend that kind of money on on one set i i can only assume that it's still staying there <laughs> like hobbiton tell, tell that tell that to peter jackson <laughs> thank you we think alike Eddie. i'm just like you can just see the money guy for this movie telling michael mann well Mr. Man, uh, you can either have this fort or we can make you a bionic guy. Whichever way you want to go, $6 million. <laughs> so, uh, Jared, what is age the worst, if anything? You know, I, honestly, nothing springs to mind. I, I think the other hosts, Andy and Kathy, have said it right. I mean, if this they rolled it out as a new movie today, I don't think I'd be able to say, wait a minute, this was <laughs> 1992. I can't think of anything that that looks bad. Maybe somebody else picked up something that I missed, but no, I got nothing, man. Yeah. Kathy, what do you think? Age the worst? Uh, In my notes, there's a blank spot. (laughs) There's nothing that I found that maybe if there was my only possible nitpick was maybe his dialogue and the delivery. Mm. Like I got a little confused. Like, like is he's, has he always known English? I mean, he was taken when he was a kid. Some was broken, but some seemed perfect. That's true. Yeah. Structure. So I got a little confused by that, but that may not be what we're really talking about. But that's no, my only. But, no, I agree with you. It's true. I was never quite sure what Hawkeye, his. What his? Yeah, go ahead, Andy. Hawkeye was actually a 
by both uh, frontier family and by the the uh, Native American family by the Mohicans. He he was orphaned at a young age, and uh, Papa Bear took him in. But uh, he also sent him back to uh, uh, the Frontier Society to go to school. So he learned uh, the Mohican first, and then he learned English, which is why sometimes he has that strange sounding accent um, because English is his second language. Very good. I also got the impression, and maybe it was just me, but I felt like he was giving people what they expected or hiding parts of himself. I felt like he was sometimes the broken English was on purpose because he could speak better English, but I think he was hiding parts of himself from people. That's an impression I got, and maybe I'm way off base, but I just felt that. It could be now that you say that because that I feel like incorrect. it was the the conversation that he had with Cora under the stars that night was much better English when they were having True. that discussion. So you could be onto something. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because like there were times he just sounded like a hick. I, and I, and by the exactly. way, I didn't mention the scene, but I love where the guy says, "How can you go to Kentucky at a time like this? Real easy. You you just point, you just face north, and real sudden, like turn left." <laughs> you, you totally, you totally said Kentucky wrong or whatever. Kentucky. <laughs> We're going so to weird. Kentucky. Yeah, that's right. Um, it is funny that Kentucky used to be like the far wilderness, you know. We don't know much about that place out there other than they got liquor and basketball. Other than that, we don't really know. <laughs> a white castle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, my what age the worst was simply that... Uh, did I ask Andy? Did I ask Andy already what age the worst for you? Did I get you, Andy? You okay, did, go ahead. You did not. You skipped me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, this might sound a little nitpicky, but uh, the casting of Cora, I think, uh, didn't age well simply because Cora was... Uh, biracial in real life oh, okay. um and that was that was actually in the book she uh colonel monroe was actually uh, originally from um was originally stationed in jamaica and had a jamaican wife uh before he moved to america and had alice with his his english wife so cora was actually a mixed race and i thought it was a little whitewashed which back in the 90s was perfectly um acceptable um, but uh, I, I think it, it would have been really cool to see uh, her represented a little bit better. I Did you notice that like the um, more than once somebody refers to the dark daughter and the light daughter? And I guess we're just supposed to assume it's the yes. hair color, but clearly there was more to it than that. Well, and I picked up on the fact when Magua, when he found them under the waterfall, he touched her hair to confirm like maybe texture-wise like this yeah, is the dark daughter possibly maybe That's that was a small nod to that hmm that is interesting i didn't realize that see i knew i had good good people on here tonight to talk about this and jared and me <laughs> i do what i can do when i can do it that's that's what i'm doing too man uh, but you guys are andy and kathy are, are carrying the show for us right now jared i think we have to agree um, what age the worst for me was a lot of it is so dark. Like I said, I appreciate, and, I, and one of you guys said that they filmed it that way on purpose. Kathy, I think, said it was filmed that way on purpose. But I, I, and you know, man liked to experiment. But I really wish, as with changing the electronic music, and he shot everything like he's. It's it's famous that the studio finally sent somebody down there just to say, wrap it up. You know, just just go with the go with take number nineteen. You don't need take number twenty. 
And he actually went back and even refilmed the final, the was the waterfall scene. Yeah. He went back and refilmed the waterfall scene two weeks before the movie came out. That whole thing was done right before the movie came out in pickups. And so it's so dark, though. Like I said, it just bothers me because in the environment I have to show it in, it's, it's hard for my students to see it. And a lot of the early audio, not so much later, but like the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie, the audio is very murky. I have to turn on the subtitles. Like the entire scene in the settler's cabin, you can't understand anything anybody says. Mm-hmm. True. It was difficult. Yeah. I do that with a lot of movies anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's the the between the darkness and the audio, I'm just having to get tell my students it, just stick here, stick with it, you know. Uh, but that's about the only thing. Other than that, I'm I'm pretty happy. There's, yeah. There's there's a funny anecdote about Michael Mann shooting the the attack on the fort, one of the night scenes, the attack on the fort, and he reshot it so many times over and over again. At one point in time, he there was an orange glare uh, on, <laughs> on the the scene, and he shouted into his. He shouted into his bullhorn, will somebody please turn off that orange light? And then a voice <laughs> came back from the distance saying, Michael, that's the sun. <laughs> that's so awesome. That is so Michael Mann. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, all right. So I always like to ask this. If it were made today, how would you change the cast? And we don't have to cast the entire thing if you don't want to, for crying out loud. We don't be here all night. But just give me some interesting people you might think of I had a hard time. I came up with two, but I'll save them. Jerry, did you come up with anybody you'd like to in- interject into this movie if it were filmed today? First, I want to play defense attorney for Madeline Stowe. Uh, <laughs> she may look lily white, but she is half Costa Rican, by the way. Oh. Her uh, her mother's from Costa Rica. Costa Rican royalty. She has like uh, nice. people, uh, leadership, uh, presidents, and all that in her blood of Costa Rica. It's kind of fascinating. Anyways, almost kind of segues cool. into into my response to this. Um, I don't know that they would make it today, Van, to be honest with you. Um, hmm. To have a white lead character in a movie about Native Americans is just like cannon fodder for Twitter and the internet. Yeah. Even even though that is how it was written. I mean, look no further than my boy Snake Eyes from the G.I. Joe movie to say, it, you know, I, I just, I feel like it's it's a, too dangerous for for film companies to make now in today's politically charged environment and i don't think they would make it i think they they'd either pass on it or they'd recast the daniel day lewis part as a native american going against source material so Hmm. it's a tricky situation depending on how you look at it and 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 i ain't gonna soapbox or fight anybody on which way to go on it i just don't know that they'd make it today so i'm just really glad it got made in 1992 having said that christopher walken should play every role <laughs> saw that coming. I, I, that coming. Wait, what character I, should he I will play? say all of them I think is what he said. Oh, yeah. okay. Go ahead, Andy. Sorry. <laughs> I will say I will say that that in the book, um Daniel Day the Hawkeye character, it, the his his two Mohican brother or his Mohican brother and his Mohican father play a larger role. So they're kind of like a team. It's not as centered on Hawkeye as as it was in this movie. I mean, they did that for obvious reasons because Daniel Day Lewis is the star. They wanted one main character for the the romance and all that stuff. But in the book, if they hew a little bit closer to the book, um, I, I think that the three of them work as a team, and it could be made today. 
I, and I would be on board for that because, uh, to be honest with you, those were the parts that gravitated towards. It's mm-hmm. probably the military man in me that gravitates mm-hmm. towards these guys who are essentially soldiers, a band of mm-hmm. soldiers, although they are family. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I totally watched that movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Kathy, what did you think about uh, any replacements from modern time? Um, the only two that I thought of, I. I really love the Native American culture and I watch a lot of movies that have them in it. Um, there's two that came to mind. Uncas, he's beautiful. Um, <laughs> and my favorite beautiful native right now, his name is Martin Simeyer. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I apologize. Um, he was in the remake of Magnificent Seven. Okay. He was in Westworld. Um, I'm trying to think of something else that you guys may know him. But anyway, he's who I would possibly okay. recast for Uncas if it was now. And then as far as um, a second for Magua, also from Westworld, his name is Zahn McLar- McLarenon, I think is his name. Hmm. Um, if anyone does not watch Westworld, there is one episode. Of course, I cannot think of the name of it right now, but it is the one episode that should have been nominated and won all the Emmys. And it was strictly about the native American part of the Westworld community. Mm -hmm. And the man who plays uh, the lead role in that episode, he would 100% do an amazing job in this movie. If it was remade today. Cool. Cool. Very good. Andy, did you give yours? I don't think you did. You commented on the other end, which was good, but I don't know if you gave yours. I did not. I, I, you know, I was trying to scratch my head and think about who modern day would be able to play these roles like like these guys did in this version of the movie. Um, I came up with three of them. I think, uh, don't laugh now, I think to play the part of Hawkeye, you need somebody who is about that same age and who's, uh, who's gritty enough and ruggedly handsome off like Daniel Day-Lewis was. And I came up with Daniel Radcliffe. He's such a uh, he's got the he's got the look, and I think he would do a, a really good job. Kathy doesn't agree with me. No, he's too he's too clean cut. He's too yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> if if you've seen him in a couple of his movies, you, you know what I'm talking about. He because everybody thought the same of Daniel Day Lewis too, but he pulled it off. So, um, and for um, Cora. I went with Dominique Tipper. She's from The Expanse. Uh, she plays the the second man of the the Rossi. The, the oh Rossi, yeah. Um, yeah, because she of that mixed race. Mm-hmm. She's mixed race, and I, I think she's a great actress, and she's she's uh, uh, a a tough lady. So I think she, she would is. be perfect for that part. And for Colonel Mon- for Colonel Monroe, I think Sean Bean should play Colonel Monroe. Die. Dies. <laughs> That's so awful, but it's so true. It is true. <laughs> if we couldn't get Christopher Walken, then then yeah. Sean Bean, some well, Bond villain. I was gonna say he's in Bond too. That's the only reason he's agreeing with that. These are the only actors I know. <laughs> Other than Jan Michael Benson, is that his name? Yeah, <laughs> Airwolf. Oh, it makes me think of uh, Winds of War, and then I get sad that he was in it. Um, I don't think he'd be cast in this because he died. Oh yeah, that's that. That would hold him back a little bit, possibly. Way to bring it down there, yeah, Andy. T- turn the knob down to zero, and <laughs> <laughs> um, I I came up with a director and a and a star. I had a heck of a time because there just 
aren't, in my opinion, that many leading men right now that could play Hawkeye the way Daniel Day-Lewis does. And, of course, you wouldn't have to play it exactly the way Daniel Day-Lewis does, but there's a combination of being somewhat sophisticated but at the same time rugged and, and nature boy you know, kind of thing at the same time. And that's a rare combination. I would think of a guy that was slick enough to play him, but he wouldn't be a good, like, running through the woods frontiersman with a long rifle. Then I would think of somebody that was rough and tough enough, and I couldn't think of somebody that was refined enough to be the other. Because he's got two sides to his character, and that's just hard. And I thought of one person that I think maybe could work, and I want to see what you think, Sebastian Stan. Oh, Kathy likes it. Is that the crab from The Little Mermaid? (laughs) God. (laughs) <laughs> yes, Jared, we're talking about the little red crab that sings under the sea with a long rifle. All right, where do I know Remake Sebastian it as a musical. Uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. No, Kathy, you seem to like that. You approve? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I could see it, right? Yeah. Where Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. with the Winter Soldier guy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, da- I'm down. I've... <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to sell Radcliffe, and he's still trying to sell Radcliffe. Okay, here's here's, I will say about Radcliffe, though. I I think what makes Daniel Day-Lewis so good in this is because how everybody knows he is with all of his movies. Like, Mm -hmm. he gets deep in character. I mean, I love Daniel, but I just don't know that he would have that capability to do that. But Sebastian Stan, heck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta admit, Van, when you were selling it there, like the parts of it, the one that popped into my head, and he might be just a tad too old now, though, was Andrew Lincoln, because he does rough and yeah. gritty really well, and he cleans up real well as, as well. So I yeah. think Andrew Lincoln might be one. If we couldn't get Daniel Radcliffe. Here. I could see that, for sure. Yeah, I really could. I'm, I'm, I'm Andrew Lincoln, that's that's another plus. Nobody's going to say Matt Damon. <laughs> that's a great wall joke, if y'all... No, no, I, was, I was staying away from that one. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love that movie. I know everybody hates it, but I, 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 I haven't seen it. I just, again, I back to what I said earlier, I know it caught a lot of internet flag because of, so. Well, I came up with a director, but it's pretty obvious. I mentioned The Revenant, Alejandro Inarritu, but here's the thing. I think he could make it look even more beautiful than Michael Mann did. I think it would be an absolutely gorgeous movie, but the pacing would be so much slower and I think you'd lose a lot of the fun because that's one of the things I love about this movie is that it has the grandiose, the grandiosity, the cinematography, the gorgeous scenes, and then, oh, we're running, we're running, we're running, action, action, action. There's always somebody running. They run up hills, they run down hills, they jump over things, they dive, they swim. They, there's, it's just go, go, go. It's frenetic. And I don't think that Inaritu, that's not his thing, right? You'd have a lot of long, slow tracking shots of the of the mountains, and you'd see Hawkeye like loading his gun for five minutes, and it would be really profound and beautiful. But there's nobody running, 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 jumping, climbing the rocks, tomahawks, tomahawks, you know. So, I think he could do it. I think it would look a lot more like a movie from today versus thirty years ago. But there's something to be said for movies from thirty years ago, in my opinion. So maybe they could kill the bear yeah. instead of the. <laughs> deer and then it would solve the problem for leo later oh on. man that bear man that scene and yeah that i get to admit the, that's the, just... 
the books were written as action adventure books. So yeah, it's it's got to have that fast pacing. Yeah. And I to what Kathy said, in the book there is a scene where they actually take a bear hide and um Hawkeye uses that as a disguise to sneak up on some Indians. So yeah, they could kill the bear and and then he could wear the the clothes or the the bear fur and yeah. There you go. But no, the the books are are pure action adventure. So yeah, it, it would it, you can't slow it down. Yeah, I agree. I I, you know, I think he'd make it look good, but I just I don't think he's the right choice. I have to think about it a lot more. All right, a couple more categories. We'll wrap it up. Could this be made as an Amazon or Netflix series? I mean, I don't see how you could say no. Does anybody want to say no, or do we all agree it could be a really cool like eight, ten episode Netflix series? Jared? I was prepared to say no until Andy used the plural term of books, which made me realize there might be more than one in this series. <laughs> so now I'm on board. <laughs> Well, you know the way they would do it now, you'd get like three or four episodes just seeing Magua's backstory and Hawkeye's mm-hmm. backstory, and you kind of cut back and forth until you bring them together for this story on That's like episode true. four. Well, they got well, basically I- an entire episode out of that scene where he just, you know, basically told Metal and Stowe that he liked her. He was like, I like looking at your face, and then like <laughs> stared at each other for like 45 minutes, and I was like, somebody say something. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to pick on the movie, but no, you're right, man. You would get the backstories. You you probably get the 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 story of uh, of the young the young officer who what was his name? Duncan. Um, Duncan. Yeah, who, you get Duncan I, I, too. Yeah. Yeah, because he's he's got he's. I know I'm probably taking away too much time, but he's kind of that wide eyed, like you said, like he's he's he sees everything in black and white, and then mm-hmm. he realizes as it goes on. It's not the way he thought, and he ends up being quite the hero. So I, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked. I just he does. We didn't get to talk about that character, and he had a really cool take heart. her and go. I know Duncan. I mean, like I can't stand him, and yet he does kind of be noble at the end. Kathy, were you? Did you have a point there? I'm afraid we cut you off. I did, but I completely. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I just I grabbed the ball and ran, and, and never stopped running. I apologize. <laughs> Andy, any thoughts about redoing it as a or doing it as an Amazon or Netflix series? I think it would work great. In fact, it has worked great. It was back in 94, 95. It was a it had one season as a TV series called Hawkeye starring Lee Horsley and Linda Carter. Wow. Um and it you was, made that it was up. actually yeah. I did not you can google it. <laughs> it was it was actually a lot of fun and um, yeah, there are five books that cover uh, about 60 years of uh, Natty Bumpo's life. Uh, from you know his early days in the 1840s to 1804 when when he finally uh, exits stage left. Hmm. So yeah, I think they and and in the books there's a lot more about the Native American culture and the Native American politics between all the tribes and stuff. So I think they could they could do an interesting hmm. angle like that as well. Yeah, um, that that was excised from the uh, from the movie a lot. Uh, they had that one scene where where they were talking to the old chief and he was negotiating everything with with between the three parties. But um, yeah, I think it would make a a, a fantastic um, series on on streaming. Actually, and that was going to be my point when uh, I was ready to say no as well because I did read that they had that series a long time ago and I was like, oh well, it was only one season, so maybe it didn't do well. But like you said, if there's multiple bl- books. And especially more about the Native American culture, I could definitely get interested in that. Yeah. All right. We have a thing on our show. Interestingly, shows. the, oh, the go ahead. sorry, Andy. Interestingly, the, the 
No, that's all right. The TV series used a lot of scenes from the movie. They they were produced by the same production company, so like the uh, a lot of the fight scenes were reused in in the TV series, especially the one uh, when they were all leaving the fort and they had the big attack there. So um, yeah, it was it wasn't it, it really wasn't bad. I mean, it was done on the cheap. It was a syndicated show, and Lee Horsley was Lee Horsley, so um, it, it wasn't terrible. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So like I said, we have a thing on this show called the Pinnacle. This movie represented the high point for what? So, for example, the example I always use, because like the first movie we reviewed in our new format was uh, was Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I said that was probably the pinnacle for Harrison Ford, maybe, but definitely for bull whips and fedoras. So I'm gonna I got a little list here. If anybody wants to add anything to it, I'll just throw my list out there. You tell me if you want to add anything to it. And these are all question marks. I'm asking you, do you agree? I have that this movie was the pinnacle for Tomahawks, the French and Indian War. Haven't seen any other big French Indian War movies. Maybe music video endings, because there's like a 20-minute MTV video that could have, you know, stood by itself. Long I rifles. I have to go to Blade, by the way. Yeah, Blade. okay. That's, I haven't seen that. <laughs> Long rifles. Lacrosse. Don't know a lot of other big lacrosse movies. And I, I love that Bill Simmons is like, man, I wanted that scene to go on five minutes longer. I was ready to bet. I should throw some money down on those guys, you know. Um, the Great Smoky Mountains. It may be the pinnacle for them. Uh, West Studi. I don't... I, Mystery Man. And the, then the one I have three question marks beside at the end is Daniel Day-Lewis. So it's, I think it's I his say best it's film. the pinnacle. I think it's his best action role. Um, I mean, oh, my yeah. left foot was really pretty spectacular, but he didn't do a lot of fighting in that one. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's his, his definitely his best action role. I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I would also go further from what Van said, not just the best um, uh, Seven Years War or French Indian War movie, uh, but the, the best early American movie. I, I oh. think it's better than any of the, the, uh, um, the Revolutionary War movies that we've gotten. I, I think it, it's fantastic. And, yeah, The Patriot right. maybe is the only one, and I don't like that near as much as this. Oh, oh I, I despise The Patriot for what they did to the, the historical figure. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Been a while since I've watched it, but I, I, I kind of had that feeling. So, anything you guys want to add to that? Any other any other pinnacles? I'm thinking probably not. No, we good. Nope. All right. Last last stop. Last topic. Who won the movie? Jared. Who won this movie? Um, that's kind of tough. I think. I, I'm glad that you started with me because uh, I'm gonna do the. <laughs> I'm taking over from Andy, and I'm dialing the, the dial back down to zero. Uh, this is a war movie essentially, and uh, yeah. nobody wins, ever. So um, I say nobody wins. Everybody lost something. Um, nothing good comes of, comes of war, and yeah. I speak from experience, and I will leave it at that. Yeah, that's fair enough. Kathy, who do you think won the movie? It's so weird you say that, because the whole time during the movie, I'm thinking war is so stupid. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is for land and property that there was plenty of for mm. everybody to have a piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I love that the that Hawkeye and Uncas and Shikagook kind of illustrate that because, like, to the British, this is everything. It's, we got to fight the French. This is the most important thing in the world. And they're like, who cares? You guys are as bad as they are. We got to go west. We're heading to Kentucky. You know, like, they just, like, they totally see it from a different perspective. They're like, who cares? What's the big deal? You know, I love that. Yeah. It, I'm, Andy, go ahead. 
it's even worse. It's even worse than that because this is only an extension of the Seven Years' War that's being fought in mm-hmm. Europe. This is just a sideshow yeah. of of them, you know, because they're oh the the guys back home are fighting, so I guess we should you know start fighting too. Um, so yeah, it's it, yeah it's 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 kind of a senseless war. But um, I think that the person that won that I agree with Jared. Everybody kind of lost in this one, some more than others. But I think uh, uh, Hawkeye was would probably come out the best of everybody because he got the girl in the end and uh i, yeah. I guess that's that's winning over everybody else losing somebody close to them and i wonder if maybe this is why my initial reaction to this movie was not as high as it was over subsequent viewings i hadn't thought about the reason why until now but it may have been that because there's so much kind of a downer to the ending and some people just kind of survive it but nobody really wins my initial reaction was, uh, but then when you watch it multiple times and you already know that, then you can kind of appreciate the other parts of it more because you're not focused on who's going to win. Now, that being said, I did say nobody really won, so I think we're kind of all in agreement on that to a certain degree. I said the last three survived, but they're all, they've all diminished. They've all lost somebody. Mm-hmm. They've all lost, lost a son, somebody. Lost a brother, lost a sister, lost a yeah. father. yeah. And I said, interestingly, they were one play away. They were one play away from Magua winning, even though he died. If Cora had died, Magua would have gotten, I sound like Magua, Magua would have gotten (laughs) everything he wanted because Mm -hmm. he would have killed Monroe, the gray hair, and he would have Mm -hmm. killed both of the daughters and wiped their seed from the earth forever. And he's like, now I can die. I'm done. And see that. Is why I don't think he's a sympathetic because he had his revenge, but it wasn't enough to yeah. get his revenge. He needed to remove the seed from the earth, and it's like you, you've gone all in, buddy. And gone too that's, far. That's why Papa Bear stuck it to him. You man. know, <laughs> I, I hate to be the the downer of the group yet again, but Cora did not survive the book. Yeah. Oh, I know, and neither did. Um... Damn it, Andy. <laughs> yeah, I, with the literacy already. <laughs> <laughs> you and your literature. I know. Was it well, Monroe? Monroe, I believe right in the book, I read this. I heard this. I haven't read it, but I believe that Monroe lived and Cora died. Yeah, and Alice lived. And Alice book. lived, yeah. yeah. Well, and y'all say that Hawkeye won, but he's the one that has to think about the fact that his actions in staying at the fort caused literally everything else and caused all those deaths to Cora That's and her right. family. In wow. the movie version, at least. Well, you have to wonder what would have happened to Cora and Alice, though, if they hadn't, if he hadn't stayed. They would have gotten ambushed and probably killed or dragged away even sooner. I do love, though, that, right. that you remind me of that great line where the guys are all talking to Hawkeye, and they're like, well, we're leaving, we're leaving. He's like, I think I'm going to stay. And they go, why are you going to stay? I have a reason. Does your reason wear a striped skirt and work <laughs> in the surgery? Well, that's a darn fine, better looking reason than you, John Connor, or whatever your name is. I just love that. Cameron. That was a, that was a good Cameron. bit. John Cameron. Yeah, John Cameron. John Cameron. Well, um, I think that's pretty much it, gang. Do we have any, final th- any, any, any uh, burning final thoughts you want to get out there before we wrap it up? Jared. I, I will take one. I'm just really glad that you put this together. You know, it had been 20 years. I had had let down the first time I saw it, and I'm really glad I revisited it and found out what a really good film it was. So thanks for putting it together. Yeah, thanks. I, 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 I'm glad that we, you guys all were able to join us. Kathy, any final thoughts? Yes, I yeah. want to thank you for inviting me. I appreciate 
being included. Um, I did want to mention, or in my notes, I wanted to say that I respected Cora in that age, the time frame we're looking at. A woman's only choice was to marry, mm. to live. But yet she was strong enough in her beliefs and what she wanted for that day and time to not marry that man. And I just want to say that's that's a lot of guts for a woman yeah. back back then. So I think she was a much stronger character than I would have expected. But anyway, but again, yeah. thanks for having me. Oh, we're so glad we had you. Um, yeah, she Cora has that great line to Duncan where she says something like, I like I have to trust my own instincts that I I know what's better for me. You know that if, that if I'm indecisive, that doesn't mean that I have to let somebody else tell me what to do. I've, I'm totally messing up the phrasing, but that's basically what she was saying. You know, because Duncan's like, well, if you can't decide, then have your father, because he knows just fa- her father will say, marry Duncan, and mm-hmm. and she's like, and I don't love in you. That Duncan. day and time, I don't think there was many, if any, that would have taken that stance. They just would have like, right. oh. Oh yeah. Man wants to marry me. Let's do it. And he was a big time British officer. Why would she not? But yeah, she was independent mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, Andy, your final thoughts. Uh, I too, like Jared, would like to thank you for putting this together because there, I can count on one hand the number of times in my life that I've been able to geek out about this book series. So this has been perfect. I get to geek out about so much of my other nerd stuff that uh, to, to actually be able to talk with people about this and and. Uh, and, and revel in it. It, it it was a lot of fun a lot of fun very cool well gang we're going to wrap up and get on out of here thank you guys all again so much and with the White Rocket's going to get on out of here for another episode we'll see you guys down the road Bye-bye. bye 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 This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.